0: break, please go to the bottom right-hand corner of your phone. Please retweet and share this space. Uh, Not everybody knows everybody, but everybody knows somebody. And you can please uh, request that retweet just so that, you know, if they have any questions, comments, concerns, they want to express their emotion, please let them know that this is the forum by which they can do it. Also, I would suggest that people go to the very top of this this, uh, Twitter space, and you'll see a tweet there from Maria Aid. Maria Aid is a nonprofit organization. It has got its license now. It's fully a nonprofit organization that is pushing non lethal equipment to those that are defending Ukraine night vision goggles, thermal optics, drones, radios, medical protective equipment, and more to aid in the success and survival of Ukrainians on the front line as it battles for its independence against Russia. We're witnessing genocide in our time, and I think it's incumbent upon all free people to support another free people keep their liberty and their independence that's in a very american uh motivation i would say so i would ask that you please donate whatever you can and if you can't donate anything that's fine you can certainly retweet and share the space because if you're here you're on twitter and if you're on twitter you can reshare and tweet so that that being said let's go to uh tenny who has been extremely patient she's been waiting her turn tenny please go ahead
1: okay um about india india (laughs) And Brazil, China, and Russia formed something, a loose alliance called the BRICS for Brazil, Russia, India, China. But before that even happened, back in about 2009, it's highly suspected that Saudi Arabia and Russia hacked into the climate center in uh, England and released emails and torpedoed the climate change the UN climate change conference in Copenhagen that December. So their alliance goes a long time and they've been, so we we, Saudi Arabia has never really been our friend and it's all about the oil and the money. And you really need to keep that in mind. It's the money and the oil. And I know we're here about Ukraine, but the oil funds Russian aggression. So, just want you to keep that in mind, that the, the alliance with India, China, Russia, and Brazil. And Brazil, I lived there 14 years during the time of President Lula, who actually did a great deal to improve the life of the poor there. <clears throat> but um, contrary to what uh, I hate to disagree with Axel, but he's not entirely right about Lula. Um The, the thing is... I think that uh, India values that relationship with Russia and China. They that's that's the alliance they chose to make. And now, for nationalistic reasons, they they really don't really care to align with the United States and Ukraine. And they're bu- they're going to buy that oil, right? So they're they're not they're not our friend really either. And it's all about the oil. Even Ukraine without that oil, Putin couldn't have done this. So in my mind, a great deal around the world in the money laundering and the corruption, buying the politicians, buying the, getting the oligarchs involved, all that kind of stuff, it all goes back to Putin's power with oil. So that's all I wanted to say about that.
2: Thanks. Thanks. Just, just to clarify, Brooks is not Actually, an alliance is just sort of a political forum, like the G7. It's not a they don't have a military alliance or anything like that.
1: No, but Lula put a lot of uh, to him. It was a big prestige deal because we snubbed him when he became president by not sending a high official to his inauguration. I was there when that happened and and we missed a big opportunity. But, you know, that was a Bush thing, I think. And, um, he did things like that, so we missed a, a great opportunity there to bring Brazil on board with closer to us, but they didn't do that because he was a socialist, so you know when there's a socialist involved, they don't want to get too close, and look at us now, we're going to Venezuela <laughs> to you know be aligned with get oil from them for other people,
2: and that's so, not a good idea either, but i we don't want to get too far off into yeah, South we American don't want to get too far.
1: You know, we don't want to get too far off from that. But um, indeed, the the Brazil was simply used by China and Russia. The alliance, like he thought, there would be a lot of commercial gains, but China just wanted the raw materials. That's it. And they snubbed Obama at the uh, climate conference. Wouldn't even talk to him. So anyway, it's about the oil. That's all I have to say.
0: I, I would just say that it matters to Russia. I know we don't want to spin off the subject, Colby. I'm, I'm not trying to. But I would just say in response to that very briefly that you're absolutely right. It is about the oil. Oil is what powers economies, right? Oil is what gives people jobs. Oil is what keeps your, your, your economy humming to the point that you can grow it to where you can grow as strong as the United States or France or Germany or United Kingdom. To simply forsake oil actually puts your economy back to where authoritarians can fill that gap and fill that vacuum where democracies would no longer have the strength to be able to support their allies in need.
1: So Except, I, for, except in, in India, they just had ground temperatures, not the two meter temperature, but ground temperatures of 143 degrees and crops will not germinate above something like 95. So, you know, they can burn all the oil they want, but it doesn't improve their economy now.
0: Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Tenny. I appreciate it. Um let's go to uh all you all your space. Let's go to all your space and then we're going to go to
3: Ryan. Go ahead. Thanks. Um so this is a a question that I uh posed to uh I think maybe this is the third different Ukraine group, not that that really matters, but so this and I, I consider it a pretext um uh a narrative uh, that w- with regards to Russia's the aggressions uh the war the genocide uh that i guess started in 2014 this um notion or accusation that um russian ethnic russians were being uh violently targeted uh, i've even heard the word genocided uh used to describe uh what was happening uh to you know, ethnic Russians in the Donbass region. And so um, I'm not buying it just to get that out there. But my question was, if that was the case, or as the, as Putin or Russia is saying, it, does anybody know if there was any appeal for inquiry or investigation by, say, the ICC or what, uh, whatever international body would investigate uh, these situations where um, genocide and and, and this kind of, um, I don't know, racial or ethnic um, cleansing would be happening. As far as I'm uh, aware from the answers I've gotten from people in in other spaces is that they never made any appeal to any such organization to investigate uh, these alleged um, aggressions and atrocities towards uh, the um,
2: uh, ethnic Russian uh, populations in those regions. To my knowledge, they did not, and the reason for that would be if you know such an investigation was launched, they would find no evidence in support of those claims. So uh, Russia did not bother to ask for such a thing when the outcome would obviously discredit their argument. I could be wrong about that, but I don't believe they ever requested um, any sort of uh, third-party investigation of these. Obviously, uh, false uh, claims, Russian disinformation about the subjugation of ethnic Russians in Ukraine. Obviously, it's uh, preposterous. There's no truth to it whatsoever, but it's a common uh, disinformation trope that they trot out as justification um, for their invasion. And this is obviously um, a very old tactic that's been used numerous times uh, throughout history by bad actors who are engaging in uh, revanchism, miradentism. Uh, this is what the nazis did during world war ii as well um same tactic uh think some things never change
3: and and was a similar scenario not present in georgia in 2008 i mean i just it's, it just seems yes not, not abs- it seemed absurd to me that i mean not a surprise i guess at this point but yet it somehow still is that uh, like the rest of the world probably if they're interested probably understands this but uh russia's going to be russia or i sh- i should say putin's going to be putin i don't i don't know anyway but thanks for um your your thoughts on that it just yeah it's ridiculous
0: no oh, i would i would agree i i think the pictures in ukraine speak for them themselves uh ukrainians are have been the victims of genocide uh, going back a very, very long time. It just didn't start in 2014. It went all the way back to even to the time of Stalin and the czars. Uh, this is not a new development. The Russians have been killing Ukrainians en masse for hundreds of years. Um, and there's there's no doubt about it. Uh, these are documented instances. You don't have to go. You don't even have to go back hundreds of years. You can go back all the way to 2014 when they invaded Donbass and you can see how they treated Ukrainians then. Um, let's go to Jinj and then Ryan, please. Jinj, please go ahead.
4: Okay, so here's the thing. Here's uh, something that uh, I remember: big people brought up in the morning. Why don't we just go ahead and eliminate Putin? Then there's going to be good people coming online, and then everything will be hunky dory. <laughs> actually, here's the here's the reality. I don't think many people understand. Nations when they transform, the good outcome is actually the exception. Bad outcome is usually you go worse before you go better. So. That goes back to one gentleman just said, you know, the Mayor, Mayor Shimer, I remember the name, the University of Chicago professor was talking about that the power plays and so on. Actually, there's one major difference between the American foreign policy with the British. The American foreign policy champions certain values. Very, very clearly champions certain values. So, in American history, we have the transformation of, of Germany, we have the transformation of Japan, and under our watch, two authoritarian regimes transformed into Shiny democracies, Korea and Taiwan, and also there are other countries. Very oh, no nation before did that. So Mary Shimer and uh, Chris Hodges are the two people I follow. I'm very critical. Their views about China is totally out of touch completely assuming they're rational players. Is China going to be very difficult to to deal with? Actually, much easier than you think. Because, yes, China is the biggest trade partner to 150 nations of the world, but you need to look at the content. Here's the deal. So many companies around the country, around the world, bring in parts to be assembled to products to re-export to the rest of the world. So if you look at the trade balance, it's huge. You import a tremendous amount of components. Then they put that together, they ship it out to the world. So you have a huge import, you have a huge output. The reality is, if you look at Nazi Germany, Soviet Union, then Russia and China, it's actually a step function. Nazi Germany can be self-sustained in many ways. That's actually very difficult to deal with. Because trading embargoes and so on only goes so far. Soviet Union, if you cut off their trade and a lot of things you do embargo, their technology de- degenerates over the time. It's much more dependent. Then you have Russia, then you have China. Both are very susceptible to trade sanctions and embargoes. They are very much more reliant on the rest of the world. So it's actually easier than you think. Then the last thing is, for these big nations, like, for example, China and Russia, the transformation is going to take a, take a very long time. For example, the che- Chechens fought for their independence pretty much the same way as the Ukrainians did. However, when the Soviet Union was dis- disintegrating, Chechen didn't become independent. So, therefore, Russia's brutal crackdown on the che- Chechens were viewed as civil war. In China, in Russia, many parts of the empire will seek independence. They're going to grow stronger and stronger over the time. They're going to, vie for, they're going to be fighting for independence. When that happens, is it going to be treated as a civil war, or is it going to be treated as an invasion? So there's going to be a lot of conflicts. The, my final point is, what we are having today in Ukraine, in Ukraine, is like a winning. We, we have won. A big lottery. It's exception, not a norm. We are very, very lucky to be fighting for the Ukrainians. That's my point.
0: Thank you, Ginge. I, I appreciate that. I'm um, always grateful for your context um, when it comes to these matters. Thank you. Um, I think, Ryan, you had your hand up. Uh, Ryan, did you have something you wanted to add or no?
5: Uh, I, did, I did. I'm actually getting ready to drop down. I need to hop off here for the evening. But uh, I wholeheartedly agree with him on his final point that uh, what we found in Zelensky is the exception, not the norm, historically. And uh, that guy is essentially a human sea biscuit of uh, a leader in a democracy. Um, I don't think you'd find very many leaders in the US that would stand in the face of uh, incoming missile attacks to washington dc and say send me more ammo i i don't need an evac i i need more ammo that's that's an exceptional human being but uh i'm gonna hop off here for the night thank you guys thank everybody for uh tuning in and staying involved in this it's important and donate to maria aid if you can uh, i have finally uh i'll admit i didn't do it till this week but uh everybody should if you can if you can't i understand
0: thanks so much ryan always good to have you here brother you take care
6: oh can i come in
0: um one one second uh yes you can you'll you'll be you'll be next um give me one second there actually i think kimberly had her hand up um so samuel uh, we're we're more than happy to have you here um if you could please just go to the bottom right hand corner of your phone go to that heart button press that heart button go to raise your hand and we will put you in the queue. Uh we will go, I believe Kimberly had her hand up. Kimberly, why don't you go ahead and then we'll go to Samuel. Kimberly, are you there?
7: Yes, I'm here.
0: Yeah, go oh. ahead. You had your hand up. Go ahead.
7: Thank you. You have a great show, rating show. Uh I had strokes, so I gotta be I gotta think what I'm saying. I worked in that looks like what the steel mill and uh I forget the name in okay. Ukraine. and that part of the steel mill where the people are hiding, that looks like it's called the byproduct. And that's why Russian tanks look so bad shape because I worked in the mill like that, and they make the coal. They get the coal, and they make the steel. the stock. You need iron, ore, and coal for them to make steel. steel. And, and that can eat through anything. And when I saw the Russian tanks lined up, I thought they looked like shit. Looked like they've been through a few wars. And and after time, the coal dust eats through anything. Because I grew up in Pittsburgh on the south side. And that's 36 miles of steel mill all the way to Ohio. And that that just, you know, you get my drift. And going back to the guy earlier, uh, talking about cleaning out his equipment. Because my nephew's somewhere in the world now on his eighth door. I would assume he's somewhere in Russia. And that, but um, Ukraine, uh, Putin. The first night of the war, you ha- you came up, and I listened. You had four followers, and then hundreds came on within seconds, and you got messages out. Very good. Putin is a bit to me is this a chicken shit like Trump, and just think if them two get together, with the uh, with Kim and Chi, what's gonna happen to the world? It's crazy that uh, they have ruined this world. And I have friends in Pittsburgh today, Ukes. We call them Ukes growing up. They were Ukrainians. Whole bunch, whole, whole, lot, of, whole lot of Ukrainians, their families are there. It breaks break your heart to see this Putin doing this and people destroying, people, destroying the world. He don't have enough oil for me. I, I I get in touch with Nancy Pelosi every day almost by tweeting that, and I tell her send more, send more, do more. NATO, you the UN, you're you're not talking fast enough. They need weapons. They could crush them. We don't need to put soldiers on the ground. We can crush them from wherever. We can crush them right from here, from Vegas. That's where I'm in from that nut that spoke earlier. This is to you. The 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 uh NFL the NFL draft was a big success, buddy. And uh no propaganda here in Vegas, uh for anything from anybody. Only for uh, Ukraine. To put Putin on business thing but this, this steel mill, it's just the steel mills this still people in the steel mill keep Keep hiding. There's plenty of cool dust in there. You can go under and hide. They can't see you. Don't don't get sound. You can live in there for a month. Thanks, buddy. Nice show. This I'm gonna kick off now.
0: Thank you so much, Kimberly. We we appreciate
7: that.
0: I can yeah. I, I can I can tell you, you touched my heart. I can hear it in your voice.
7: Thank, Thank you me. so much. Drop me down, please. Yes, or, ma'am.
0: You have a good night. Take care. Okay.
7: Just don't listen.
0: All right. Thank
7: you.
0: So for those people that want one second, Samuel, for those people that think that this is a Ukrainian war, for those people that think that this is a European war, for those think that this is a conflict between family members, it is simply not true. People here in the United States who know Ukrainians, who are familiar with their culture, they touch Every part of the West, I know, particularly here in the United States and in Canada, it is uh, not a small matter to us. Um, and for those people who think the United States is somehow callous or any other thing, I would uh, I would just urge you to listen to Kimberly. <clears throat> excuse me. So let's go to. Uh, all, so thank you again, Kimberly. I just want to tell you that. Thank you again. I appreciate that. Uh, let's go to all your space and then we'll go to a W. Oh, excuse me. Actually, you know, back up. I'm sorry samuel was next samuel please go ahead we're going to go samuel and then all all you samuel please go ahead i'm sorry
6: yeah i want to thank everyone who is the um, attending this space from different corners of the world my name is samuel okisitu a.k.a freeman i'm here in canada uh when the, when uh russia uh started the invading ukraine uh everybody had uh, to raise up in different ways to see that uh, we stand with the oppressed Ukraine. So I stood up with my um, uh, we, 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 we stood up, of course, with the the minister Karen Bennett, who I invited to go to go and rally in the uh, to stop. Putin to end that war. As a black guy from from Uganda, it sounded so controversial for me to stand in such a cause to stop Putin from invading Russia. And many folks gave these reasons that somewhere, I think that's not your affairs. For many ways, on many scenarios, the Europe has not been responding to the Invasions of African countries, cases of Libya, and so many, uh, so many years, coming to f- 35 years, we've been crying for the international community to come in, to come in, in any way to see that he, there is this, to, uh, to put down the dictatorship of President Museveni, who is today to uh, attacking his own people. The youth, seventy, about eighty percent, are crying of unemployment. They want change. We want change. Some of us decided to give up the cause, the struggle, and ran away because we were targeted. So now, as we, as I was in Uganda and crying for the international community, I am part of the international community now, being based in Canada as a refugee. And the challenge is that how. Do we come in? How do we uh, 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 dress up, our, uh, n- 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 not our clothes, but dress our hearts to respond to all this? I think I, I, I I'll talk with the bitter truth that we should be careful about um, the, the, the foreign policies of, of, of the so-called superpowers. We I want to challenge everyone here that if you are a leader and you are leading people who are desperate, who are very poor, who are crying, your leadership is zero. It's nothing. So in any case, this, this invasion of Russia that has not started this year, 2022, I, I, I want, in my understanding, it came to to reality. We've seen we, we started seeing the gunfires and the crackdowns when we want to say that the leaders failed so we are doing our job in the grassroots we have done the prayers but let us replace prayers with the policy what's the what's the American african policy in reality what, what is the interest it's it's so challenging that he, in in politics every actor prioritizes on his interests and why don't we share the common interest of humanity across the world because i know that putney has a family was born by a father and mother and so um sam do you have a question about ukraine so I want to challenge everyone here that what can we do to make this world a better one? Because today, as we've been closing the door of the pandemic, now the door of the Russian invasion really opened. I mean, as one speaker said that this is not about Ukraine and Russia, this is spreading all over the world. In 1980s, my grandfather and father participated in the war that put down our body.: Oboti.
2: Sorry, Samuel. The, uh, we understand there's a lot of different problems in the world, but the purpose of this space is to discuss Ukraine. We're, we're not here to discuss Africa or all the other world's problems. Obviously, there's you know a lot of uh, human suffering in many corners um, that obviously nobody is, is happy about, um, but it's not really germane to this conversation. So um, we're going to move the, the conversation along, but um, you're, you're more than welcome to to listen. And uh, if you uh, want to come up and you actually have some questions that are germane to the topic of Ukraine specifically, um, we'd be happy to entertain those. But we're, we're going to move along now. Um, sorry, folks, for uh, that uh, tangent. Um, we're we're going to move on. I think uh, I'm sorry, Craig, you said all was next, I believe. It goes
0: all and then a W all. Please go ahead
2: uh yeah thanks again uh so earlier uh
3: there was uh somebody was commenting about the incentives for putin uh in this uh war uh genocide um aggression against ukraine being uh motivated uh by the the resources and they were mentioning oil and i i saw some figures with um i believe the in-ground resource estimates and these are including oil and gas um, in Ukraine. And probably this applies to the recognized territorial undersea or the waters as well as being about four to 500 billion in today's dollars. Uh, and, but that's just that form of energy. Um, there's also uh, the food production. Uh, there's also um the the warm water ports and all this is probably well known by uh, most of the people in the space, but I just wanted to kind of emphasize that uh, the resources don't just stop at the oil. Uh, as I said, there's the food production, there's the warm water ports. And then there's also something that I just recently became aware of is a uh, fairly recently um, attempts to establish a kind of an alternate trade route um, I mean, it's somewhat similar to the the Silk Road, but uh, th- this is with regards to uh, exports uh, coming from China into uh, Eastern and the, and through to uh, Western Europe uh, that will in was basically going to to some extent kind of bypass the the uh, other route in the region that that was uh passing through russia and so uh there's this other trade route and and, and that was going to go through part of the black sea and then part of through ukraine probably through the ports in odessa and that that's one that i'm not real familiar with but um i just the implications of that trade route uh, that so anyway i just kind of wanted to reiterate the, the point that the earlier speaker made about about the resources being probably the prime motivation and if anybody can speak to this these uh the the trade route scenario i would i would like to to hear that if anybody has any insight on that
8: yeah so go ahead if you want to take it but i I think it seems uh no go ahead i I might push back just a little bit on that um yeah yeah, with all due respect the trade the the natural resources that are really existent in ukraine exist in the donbass region yes there's some gas fields that flow towards kiev and Kharkiv. But really I'd spitballing it, I'd say eighty percent of what they of you know the terrestrial resources already were within Russian territory. There's a reason why coal mining is such a big thing in the Donbass, right? Um and natural gases were already in, you know, they're east of Donetsk. Yes, there's there's either realized or potential uh, oil and gas resources in the Black Sea, but you know, frankly, compared to what else Russia has. The throwing yourself into a war just for those is like burning down your house to, you know, get a spider. It's it's worthless. Um, It really does appear that the primary motivation for this is political, um, specifically to expand the scope of the current Russian government. Um, There's obviously personal aims um, held by Mr. Putin and his confidants. Uh, regarding the fall of the Soviet Union and how that was such a loss for the Russian people. And then beyond that, I think why they chose now as a specific time was because in the future, it looks like there would have been... um, I'm sorry, let me just mute something real quick. forgot I left that on. Um, So the issue is five years from now, I mean, we already see where where Ukraine is now militarily. Um, But five years from now, they would have been in an even stronger position And I think there was a real concern, especially with some of the increased uh, bilateral relations with the economic issues Russia was having, with the political issues that they've been having, um, that, well, if we just go and we take over Ukraine in three, you know, three days, then we'll have the political one we need at home. We'll be able to have, you know, all this new territory. And between them and Belarus, we'll be able to recapture the glory of the former Soviet Union. That seems to be a lot more of the rationale than anything necessarily economic or resource related, especially in the age of international business, like trade routes are a little more of a nebulous concept. Does that make sense, sir? Yeah, no, thanks thanks for expanding.
1: I I didn't mean, I didn't ever say that this war was a resource grab. What I I meant to indicate was-
8: uh, All your space will
3: belong to us? Or was was that you asking before, ma'am, I apologize. No, Penny was the one I was referencing. I think she was the earlier speaker that that mentioned okay. the resources, but
1: no, I didn't say it was about him grabbing resources. It was the financing of this war was possible because of oil. That's mm-hmm. all I meant to say no. about that.
0: So, so that's so. Just very really quickly, I can address that. That that's just not the that's just not the fact. the 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 oil money that is being given to Putin does not build more tanks because the tank factories are shut down. The oil money that's going to Putin does not put one more trained soldier in the field. The money that is being given to Putin does not build another uh, SU25. It doesn't build another ballistic missile. It doesn't do actually anything to support the Russian war, war effort. Yes, it might it might uh, solidify the Russian economy, but none of that oil it, none of that oil money is actually going to building much of anything because of the embargoes and because of the sanctions that have been put on Russia. So, yes, the oil money is going to Russia, but just remember that that oil money is not new money. That was already accounted for in Russia's budget, right, and what Russia had to spend.
1: Again, I didn't say that either. I just – this was how he was able to believe that he could do this war because of the money that he was getting from the oil that he had stocked up. That's all I meant to say.
0: Okay. Okay. No, no, yeah. I'm sorry. No, I, I understand what you're saying now. I thought you meant like we're, we're somehow paying him to kill. No. Okay. I understand it now. Thank you, Tenny. Um, I appreciate that. Um, let's, so we well, have language learner here. Uh, he is definitely a fan favorite. Um, so we want to make sure we get him in because many people have been asking for his update. So we're going to go to two more speakers. We're going to go to AW and then finance and we're going to throw it to language. So we would just ask that, um, questions be concise, comments, be concise. Um, Uh, so we can get to an update that a lot of the audience wants to listen to, and then we will throw it back out to the general audience. So let's go to AW and then finance, please.
8: Real quickly, if you have specific questions on specific regions or instances, please either come up, with your hand up, or shoot me a DM. Um, It works a lot better when I can do this targeted in response to questions. Otherwise, you're going to hear about everything that's happened in the past 24 hours.
0: Okay. Um, okay. And one, one other final moment, please mute yourself when you're up here. We don't want you to think that you're somehow, uh, sound trolling the space. If you don't mute yourself, you will be lowered down. Uh, that's not a threat. Nobody's threatening you, but it's just common courtesy. Right? So, uh, AW. So let's go to AW and then finance. Please
2: go. Hi, can y'all hear me? Loud and clear. Um, so I'm interested in understanding the history of the Ukrainian region in the 20th century. What are some reliable, honest, authentic sources uh, that you would recommend I study if, if I wanted to better contextualize? the the current events
0: so i wouldn't say you'd actually have to look back to the 20th century to contextualize what you're seeing now um i'll summarize just very briefly for you uh ukraine was uh, a victim of stalin's collectivization efforts when he took power that starved the ukrainian population into submission uh hard to put it i can't think of the right number but it was over it was in the millions probably close to three to five million people were starved to death in ukraine uh, to, regain their, to regain their acquiescence to Russian rule. Because after World War I, the, the Russian government fell apart, the Tsardom fell apart, and Ukraine briefly had a moment where it was trying to fight for its independence. The Soviet Union crushed that. The Communist Party under Lenin and then under Stalin, uh, then, quote unquote, reinvaded Ukraine and reconquered it as a part of their imperial project, just like past Russian rulers had. During that time, Russia was then subjugated by the Soviet Union and became an SSR, a socialist Soviet republic with very hardly any uh, autonomy, uh, Russia then instigated a program of limiting the Ukrainian language, limiting Ukrainian people having their own power. And in fact, Ukrainian units were some of the uh, hardest fighting units in the Soviet army during World War II. Uh, in fact, they were some of the most talented uh, units, to be quite frank. And then as the 20th century progressed, uh, after 1990, after the Berlin Wall came down, Ukraine declared its independence as a free and independent country and sovereign country. And then it was after that that we see now that Russia engaged in a revisionist, re-desire to want to reconquer Ukraine as a part of uh, the Russian, quote unquote, the Russian people, even though Ukraine came before Moscow. Uh, when While Ukraine was building cathedrals, uh, Russia, Moscow was still uh, a backwoods. While Kiev was building its walls, Moscow was basically a swamp. Uh, so the, the You don't have to go too far back uh, to realize that Russia has always tried to subjugate Ukraine. Go ahead, Colby. Colby always fact-checking me. Go for it, brother. No, I, I wasn't going to
2: fact-check, actually. And uh, Walter would be the best person to speak to us further about uh, if you're interested in uh, further academic sources about Ukrainian history. I don't have any off the top I had to share, but I know that. I do. Uh, okay. Yeah. Th- thank you. Thank you. No, I, I have... I'll open, I'll open the- I'm curious has something for you. Then, finance. If you wanted to share some uh, further sources, you can go afterwards.
9: Yeah, I will say for everyone here, if you're looking to read more academic work around the context of Russia in general and the Russian-Ukraine history together, um, there is a gentleman who tweets. I retweet him a lot, named Kamil Kazani, K A M I L K A Z A N I. His pinned tweet is called "Thread of Threads," and he goes piece by piece through large amounts of history uh and he explains russian culture the history of uh russian industrialization was a recent thread uh his explanation for why he analyzes that uh, russia is going to lose this war he is a i believe a phd and a scholar, and a russian scholar and he's actually an ethnic kazani he is not in russia he is in the states and I believe he's in the States now or in Europe, uh, but he's actually an ethnic Kazan and he, his family is Russian. I don't know which, which country he was born in, um, but I would push everyone to there. I was a history major in college. Quite frankly, I learned more from reading his text threads on Twitter than I have learned from many history books and his history does check out and is quite well sourced.
2: Thank you. I just have one final question. Uh, who is Stefan Bandera? Uh
7: He was a
2: Ukrainian nationalist
9: uh, figure okay thank you very much thanks so much
0: uh finance please go ahead
9: uh you actually covered it what i was going to originally say about uh the that saying this is a war just about the resources um i don't know if that is accurate uh and, and i agree it's not just a resource war however russia does seem to russia in their strategies is not as uh awful is sometimes portrayed and they try to solve a large number of problems of their problems at once with this war um so while it is true they're trying to uh you know create ukraine as a russian puppet state or just fully annex huge parts of the country um it is also true that they are fully aware that ukraine is a major exporter of foodstuffs um and if you want to actually link uh, to the the rambling discussion that the African gentleman said, uh, insofar as the way this war affects the rest of the world and it becomes a war that affects African nations, you know, India and other, uh, especially middle-income nations, food prices are going up. Food prices are going up because Putin declared this war on Ukraine and Ukraine is a major exporter of foodstuffs. Russia is also a major exporter of foodstuffs. And between the efforts going into the war and the embargoes and everything else, the amount of food hitting the global market is less. Prices are going up. When prices go up for food, the first people hit are the poorest people in the world and especially poorer countries where they have less uh, societal resources. We're just talking cold, hard economic cash here to deal with the problem and get people fed. So people are literally going to starve way far away from the theater of conflict because Putin, and not just Putin, Russians in general that are participating in supporting this war are, uh, I have a whole bunch of customers I want to say here, because they are horrifically bad actors, people are going to starve in place in African nations because food prices are going to go up. They have gone up. Food prices have gone up because of this. That is going to directly cause starvation. There is not as much food as was going around before this war started. so insofar as resources matter that and you know this war is occurring, that's the first thing you should be thinking of, especially insofar as it affects the war. Yes, we talk about the oil because oil prices have gone up that's absolutely part and parcel of it but more important of that is I don't eat my what goes into my car right we eat food you know cars will hurt economic value but you know the most important things like transporting food, we're still going to have the oil for that even if it's expensive. What we can't eat is, like, if there's not enough food, people will starve. People will die. That is going to occur because of this bullshit war. Well said,
0: finance. Um, Thank you. Uh, We can talk about grain export capacity later. Um, For those that are wanting to bring this up, we're going to put that on pause for now. Um, Finance, you raised it, but I'm not going to continue it. Sorry. Uh, Language. Uh, So here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, from the hands. Um, Please keep your hands where they are. I do have the order. Um, You guys will proceed in order, but we're going to go to Language Learner, um, and he will provide his update. Um, And then please, if you wish, I'm going to save language this. If you wish to speak, please request to speak. That is the the button in the bottom left-hand corner of your phone. Once you are raised please raise your hand. If your hand is not raised, we will think that you do not want to ask a question, and we have to make room for our other speakers who do want to come up and ask a question, and we will gently lower you down, but you're more than welcome to come back, but just please remember, when you're here, please raise your hand. That is the button in the lower right-hand corner that has that little heart symbol with the plus sign. Click that hand up, and we'll put you in the queue to speak, and we'll make sure we get to you in turn. And with that language, please go ahead.
8: All right, well, thank you guys very much. Um, to start with, I want to issue a retraction as an issue. This is why it's important and why I was kind of trying to hedge my bets earlier. What I thought was an SOS <laughs> signal being broadcast on a Russian naval channel that I was listening to was some jagoff in Italy repeating SSO, 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 two, uh, two frequencies away. So he was on 335 instead of 333, or 332, rather. And uh, that's part of the reason why it's important to, you know, kind of stop and pump the brakes every once in a while. Because even though I've, you know, look, I was doing, you know, more more scoring than the Boy Scouts decades ago, even I get fooled. And, you know, something that I'd like to consider myself fairly accomplished on, I can be misled. And that's why I sometimes may come across as a little more conservative with my estimates here. And even in times a little more dismal with my predictions, because I'd rather – you know, measure twice and cut once. Uh, as a secondary to that, I haven't seen any more reports about this uh, so-called um, Admiral Makarov ship being sunk. Um, you know, this is, it, We've heard a lot of reports. The Moskva was just the singular one that ended up being true. But at this point, there doesn't seem to be any justification to those rumors um, because the only, you know, quote unquote, SOS signal we had was some guy who uh, was repeating SSO too close together and another guy who interpreted it wrong. So let's start and we'll run on through. Um, so this is as of uh, 10 p.m. Ukraine time. We'll start with the general update, then we'll move forward. Um, Ukraine forces continue to conduct successful offensive operations in the vicinity of Kharkiv, and they have also announced the start of a counteroffensive near Israel. The success in the north, however, is very likely going to come at the cost of Mariupol. That's not necessarily getting any better anytime soon. Uh, Russia has tried to create panic among the Ukraine civilian population and to disrupt supply lines in the rear, but has had minimum success on the actual battlefield. So as in general, I always encourage people. Ukraine's a big country. It's in a language that many people here probably don't speak. Uh, use a map. Google Maps works great if you'd like to use something else. There's a number of links, the uh, pinned post in my profile take you to a good website there's a good half dozen maps a number of them have russian troop movements on them um you know they'll show you where the front lines are it just makes it a lot easier uh if you really want to get crazy with it if you got a computer handy google earth pro it's free don't mind the name um it's like google maps on steroids and it'll let you look at things like elevations and cloud cover and whatnot very helpful especially as we start to get into real micro scale perspectives um, elevation, a difference of 200 feet can make a lot of difference. So, we're going to go to Kharkiv first, and then we're just going to kind of come, you know, clockwise around Ukraine. So, in Kharkiv, Ukraine forces have advanced north of the town of Molodova and liberated Saltiv This is a town that sits right on the river, the Seversky Donetsk. Um, there was a subsequent Russian counterattack in the afternoon, which was uh, repelled as well. The good thing here is if they're able to hold Stary Saltiv, that will lock down a lot of Russian troops between them and the border, because that river goes all the way up to Russia. And yes, there's uh, two, three more uh, bridges north all the way up to the border, but that means that everybody who is relying on being able to just back across towards Stary Saltiv and evacuate one way, shape, or form on the Russian side no longer can. So either they're going to have to make a decision in the next couple days, do they skedaddle north, which I suspect they will, Um, or do they try and fight it after the last man? When we saw the situation north of Kyiv, the Russians did one of their smarter moves in the war and decided to get the hell out of Dodge. Um, I expect that's what they're going to do here. Um, The area, the nice thing here is if that should happen, then really Russian conventional artillery will not be within range of Kharkiv, which is huge. Um, Kharkiv has been shelled by conventional artillery for months now. Um, Between this front on the east, Stary Saltiv and to the north, where Ukraine forces have also run up along the main rail line. Um, there's a town of Prudyanka to the east of a town called Zolchiv. They're able to menace the Russian supply lines coming from the north. I imagine they're going to push in from there as well. And if the Russians start to see their eastern flank collapsing, and they have to pull back, and they see that the Ukrainians are getting awfully close to the western flank, I imagine they're going to decide, okay, well, we've had enough of uh, killing civilians and blowing up hospitals, let's uh, let's pull back to the border and regroup and figure out what we're doing next. So hopefully this means that uh, Harkey will be able to sleep just a little bit easier um, going forward. Moving further south to the IZIUM region. Um, so that's IZIUM at this point, uh, you know, you guys should probably know where IZIUM is. We've been talking about it for a month. Um, Izium, very briefly, taken by Russian troops April 1st uh, due to some subterfuge. They've been trying to push from there towards the town of Barankov to the southwest and the cities of Slovyansk and Kramatorsk to the southeast. Um, there's been shelling across the whole line. Russian troops attempted to push in the area of Dovenka, which is a small little village um, really almost due south of Izium. It's along the main highway that leads to Slovyansk. Uh, while the Russians were able to take a number of of very small villages in the plains to the northwest as they start to move more into hills and forested areas. Uh, Ukrainians, um, forces specifically a uh, airborne, the uh, 81st uh, Air Mobile Battalion, um, so paratroopers, have uh, set up shop in this area between, in the vicinity, oh, I shouldn't say specifically the area, uh, but there's forests, there's hills, it kind of turns into a little valley along the road. It's been a real hell of a time for Russian troops to try and push through that area. And so far, they've been unsuccessful. They've tried to take the very small village of Dovenk, D-O-V-H-E-N-K-E, which lies just to the west. They've also been unsuccessful there. Uh, It gets a little more hilly in that region. So it appears that Ukrainian forces have successfully been able to set up a pretty considerable uh, defensive line, and Russian forces, and there are a number of them in Izium, at least on paper, have not been able to push through. Um, The situation remains tense. Uh, however, a little bit more to, um, to, to the west, the southwest, um, Izyum, they try and continue to push down. Um, it's unclear exactly where the Russian forces fit. And there is a large volunteer battalion near the town of Noma Nova Dimitrika, which is just northeast of Barvinkov, And, uh, they've been doing a hell of a job as well. Uh, Russian forces did try and open a new breakthrough. Um, especially to the north of Severodonetsk. They've been unsuccessful. There's a little suburb uh, called Vojivodika, which is right between the city of Severodonetsk and the city of Rubizna. Both of these have seen very heavy fighting. Um, it's, it's Specifically, Rubizna is one of the few places recently where we've seen Russians commit to uh, urban warfare, and it turns out they suck at it um, as much as anybody does, and then some, and they've lost tremendous people there. They ran about 40 tanks, uh, which is a large number, through the area to the northeast of Severodonetsk, and then tried to push into uh, Vojvodica, which it lies in the suburbs between these two towns. Um, really, it's right smack dab in the middle. But it appears they have been unsuccessful, and their assault was repelled. Um, the fighting continues in the region, and then uh, Russian troops, however, with That very large armor push, and I understand 40 doesn't seem like a big number, but 40 tanks, and it's unclear how many of these were tanks, APCs, that's a lot when it's coming straight for you, Um, especially if they're halfway coordinated. Um, They were able to push a little bit more to the north of Severodonetsk. Severodonetsk has been, frankly, kind of overlooked and overshadowed by the tragedies we've seen in Mariupol. That's in a very desperate situation. They're not cut off. But the main road into town is essentially locked in by Russian artillery. And as a result, supplies have been very hard to come by. They've been out of, um, you, know, rela- you know, conventional sources for drinking water. Um, they've, you know, electricity infrastructure has been damaged for weeks now, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the fact that Russian troops are even trying to run into that city after they had so much trouble with Rubizna, which is much smaller to the northwest, it speaks either that they really thought that they were going to be able to break off Rubizna, surround the uh, troops there who have done a heroic job and uh, degrade them, or they're just stupid and they really want to run their troops into a city um, for some kind of political reason. Uh, beyond that, um, there was a Russian attack um, towards the, in the town of Popozna. Fighting continues. Um, this is one of the other really three areas that I've seen in this war currently going on where Russians are attempting uh, urban warfare. Most of these are forcibly conscripted individuals from the Uh, Donbass. They're being led by people from uh, the Wagner Group, which is a mercenary company used by Russia to great effect in Africa, the Middle East. They're a bunch of bastards. Anybody who's followed Syria or Mali or Libya knows what I'm talking about. Um, But we're seeing reports from a DPR guy who has friends there who says, it doesn't matter, you know, these guys who show up with all their fancy gear, they've been fighting in Africa for four or five years, it, 30 minutes later, they're dead. And then the guy who's been mining coal for, you know, the past 20 years and got given a rifle, 35 minutes later, he's dead. Because to what the Ukrainians are nominally doing, not only do they have very heavily uh, supported concrete fortifications, um, and they're using machine guns and all kinds of stuff, but if his report is to be believed, Whenever the Russians do get close enough, the Ukrainians close, quote, concrete shutters and then carl down artillery strikes, uh, what we would call danger close, which frags everything in the area. Once the shelling stops, uh, the Ukrainians open up the shutters and remain and start, uh, you know, shooting again. Uh, that's a pretty rough thing to do with, especially if you're a bunch of guys who two months ago were just sitting at home and had never picked up a rifle. Um, to the northeast in the town of Orokov, there was another pu- attempted push by Russian forces to try and break through the front lines that was repelled, and there's not much more information on that. I believe there's been 11 attempted assaults um, toward, in the vicinity, uh, but they haven't been effective, frankly. Um, and then there's been 15 air targets that were hit and destroyed, 14 drones, and one kind of plane. Um, and then they said that they destroyed eight tanks, 11 APCs, and then five regular vehicles. It's unclear exactly how many of those came from that large armor push near Severodonetsk. Uh, That information is still coming out. So moving a little further south, uh, the southern front of the Donbass continues to be pretty quiet, frankly. Uh, To the southeast of Zaporizhia, um, around Donetsk, there were alleged reports, yes, that Russia had utilized um incendiary weaponry in marinka a town right on the outskirts of Donetsk city a city that russia has held for the last eight years and that was in the suburb which was taken by ukraine forces just a couple of days ago i haven't seen any evidence to support um you know white phosphorus usage if when it, and in general when you want when you hear reports of white phosphorus trust me if, if it happens you'll see it um it, it looks like a giant billowing cloud and the injuries it leaves behind are very severe. So, you know, that's one of the other things. You hear people saying chemical weapons, you hear people saying, God forbid, nukes um, or incendiaries. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, and I haven't seen enough extraordinary evidence to support these extraordinary claims. Um, there has been multiple artillery attacks, um, especially towards the town of Leopold, um, but, and Orakiv, southeast of Zaporizhia, but those attacks were repelled. Um, There has been an ongoing Russian push uh, towards the towns of uh, Velka, Novosilka, as well as Tamarivka and Novosilka. That's sort of in the middle, halfway between Zaporizhzhia city on the west and Donetsk city on the east. There's some fingers reaching out there, but we've seen um, a number of Ukrainian marine units move into the area. And I don't really know what the Russians are trying to do there. They're not advancing along the major roads they would need. And it, uh, it seems remarkably unsuccessful. In Azovstal, uh, which is the industrial steel plant, metallurgical plant in uh, Mariupol, where the last defenders and approximately now reportedly 200 civilians have taken shelter in the tunnels. And this we're talking about essentially a bunker system that's got somewhere in the order of 20 kilometers of tunnels, and some of them are as much as 60 feet deep. And they have you know water purification systems, air purification systems, etc. Uh, Russian troops have been storming and shelling the plant. Basically nonstop for the last three days, the Russians have reportedly broken into the plant, but all key structures in the underground bunkers, of which there are at least two significant ones, are in Ukrainian hands. It's a hellhole. We've talked about it a little bit here. uh, But trying to go and fight underground is something that nobody's really prepared for. And as uh, Colonel Spencer was talking about earlier, you need very (laughs) specialized people to do that and hope to get out alive. Like.